I'm thrilled you guys are with us today. Uh, welcome everybody to the second to last Sunday in this series, New Life Now. We've been working through this conversation found in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. And uh, it's just this beautiful passage. I, I just love it. And it's all about this new life that's at the center of the whole Christian faith. Eternal life that starts now and how that can have major ramifications for how you get up in the morning. This is a, a life-changing passage about a life-changing person. Amen. And Jesus has been talking to Nicodemus. And as he's been talking to Nicodemus, he's been talking to us. We can, we can see ourselves in this passage. We are right there next to Nicodemus, sitting at the feet of Jesus, saying, how can this be? And Jesus is just pouring out all of this blessing and truth to us. And today we're going to finish this conversation. By the way, next week, you're going to be blessed to hear from John Alexander. I've asked him to come preach for us next week. So that's going to be awesome. I love John. Amen. And then the week after that, it'll be Q&A Sunday. So we'll come back and revisit this conversation with Jesus in order to answer your questions that you're sending in during this series. It's not too late. If you have a question, make sure you send it in to us, whatever it is, whatever's just on your heart or just kind of nagging in your brain there, just send it in. There's a lot of different ways you can send it in. And by the way, I think it's important to be a person who asks questions. Uh, I don't trust people who don't have any questions. You don't have any questions. I'm like, wow, that's, that's amazing. You just, we need to like put your name up on high and, and call you the Messiah. But because I'm still growing. Are you still growing? I got a lot of questions. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's a sign of being a person who is growing, who is allowing the Holy Spirit to continue to, to mold them and grow them. And a person who is curious. So by the way, don't wait till the Friday or Saturday before that Sunday. I always get the person who sends it in on Saturday. And gosh, I, I love it. I love those questions. I'm probably not going to answer it though, because uh, I need time. I need time to, to study it out and answer it. So, all right, let's dive in this morning. Uh, we're in John chapter three, once again, or in verse 17, we're going to back up to verse 16, just so we can kind of like get a good running dive in today's verses. This is what we looked at last week. Verse 16. This is the famous one. Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, that monogenes, the one of a kind son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. And then today he goes on. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Oh, the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they've not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Let's stop there so far. We're going to look at uh, up through about verse 21 today, but let's stop right there. It's an interesting verse here in verse 17. Jesus didn't come to condemn. Uh, the word there in the Greek is this word krino, and it actually just means to judge or decide. Kadim sounds like a, like a pretty heavy word, but all by itself, this word krino, it doesn't really have any positive or negative connotation. It's used for situations where you pick something out by separating it from something else. You, you krino it, right? You, you divide things, you distinguish between things. Like if I said, uh, pick out all the red M&Ms from this pile, all right? And you picked out all the red M&Ms, uh, like you picked them out great, but now is that a good thing or a bad thing to be a red M&M? You don't know, right? You don't know until I say like, oh good, I want to eat all the red ones or flush them down the toilet, right? So, and, and so in these passages where it has a negative connotation to pick out, 
the English translator will often insert the word condemn to show that it's being picked out for, you know, a bad, bad reason. Um, but, but this word, crino, to divide up, to split into groups, to separate. So we're told here that God actually did not send Jesus to the world to do this, to judge people, to decide who goes in which group, to divide and separate. Jesus didn't come to judge. It says he came to save. And that word literally means to save. It means to save or rescue or heal. He didn't come to judge and divide and separate. He came to save and rescue and heal. He actually came, in fact, to save us from judgment. Because it goes on to point out here that unless that, that, that condemnation is already kind of our default state. Like we're already there, right? He says, those who believe in him are not condemned. Those who don't believe are condemned already. So that's kind of like our default state unless we put our trust in Christ. So once again, we see God, here he is giving his image bearers. That's you and me. If you're a human being, you're an image bearer. His choice makers, choice. He's giving us choice. And, and, and those who refuse to follow him are choosing not to enter into condemnation, but actually just to remain in it. You're choosing to just remain in that condemnation. This is something John will reemphasize if you go and look at verse 36 uh, later in the chapter, that by rejecting Jesus, you're not entering into condemnation, but you are staying in the condemnation you are always in. So it's a fascinating thing. It was a fascinating thing to me. Scripture explains to us that what judgment is, apart from Christ, is you're left on your own. Judgment just means you're left on your own. You are left to your own good works to try and pass the test on judgment day. Wow. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot on the line for how good you are, right? So you and I are in line for judgment, the picture is, and you're in this line, and this is life. You are just in the line for judgment. You get closer every year, a little closer, you're in line, next. Okay, oh, I'm getting closer. Here I come up to the window, next. Here it is, you, right? Next, show me your passport, right? Here it is, it's gonna be your turn someday for judgment, you're in the line, and Jesus comes and he rescues us. He rescues us, he gives us an opportunity to come out of the judgment line and say, actually, your eternal life starts now, right? Anybody ever been to like Disney World? Oh man, there are some lines there, right? And, and you, just to get into the park, you gotta wait in this long line. We were at uh, Universal Studios a couple, a couple months ago and just this huge line just to get into Universal Studios. Forget about the lines for the ride, right? And they gotta check everything. You gotta like show your purse and show your wallet and all this kind of stuff because you have to prove you're not a terrorist to get into Universal Studios, right? And it's like, it's like you're in that big long line and an attendant just comes over to you and says, you don't need to be here. Come on through. Just go enjoy everything, right? You don't even need a ticket. Just go enjoy. It's grace. It's covered. You don't have to worry. You can, you can live your life for celebration, not salvation. For celebration. You're not in the judgment line anymore. But those of us who would say, no, thank you, well, we continue in that line towards judgment. We're just already there. We're already there. But it does raise a question. It does raise a question. So my, my brain's always nagging at me, right? This is just the, the plague of being Scott. It, it, like, wait a second. 
So if Jesus, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He didn't come to judge the world. We're already under judgment. So he's not making it worse. He's just offering salvation. But that's kind of a pretty narrow bandwidth for salvation, isn't it? Right? I mean, a lot of people haven't heard of Jesus. Wouldn't you agree? Well, the majority of the people in the world since the, the dawn of time have not heard of Christ. They haven't heard the name of Jesus. They've never heard the gospel. There's people, you know, over the last 2,000 years growing up, living in little clans and tribes and raising families and raising crops and living and dying and never heard the gospel. Does that mean they all go to hell? And for a guy who came into the world to rescue the whole world, uh, we have to admit that's not a very big success rate. Hmm. And then Jesus comes and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Acts 4.12 tells us there's no name under heaven. We must be saved except for Jesus. So that's pretty specific stuff, right, when you think about it. So by coming and dying on the cross, has Jesus actually made it harder to, to go to heaven when you die. Because now you have to hear about a specific story, about a specific man who lived in this specific place. He died on a cross in a specific way. And, and then you have to put your faith in that, that package. And then you finally get saved. That seems like a really narrow uh, opportunity for salvation for a guy who came to save the whole world. Well, this represents a common objection. And I've run into this objection. You, you sometimes hear this from skeptics. Um, James Beverly, a brilliant seminary professor, he gave this analogy. Uh, he said, I, I thought this was interesting. He said, just hypothetically, imagine a woman who lives in Galilee in the time of Christ. Uh, and she's, she, let's say she's Torah observant. She's a good person. She loves Yahweh. She bakes cookies for all her grandkids. I mean, she does her best to be a good Jew. And she's a child of the covenant. And when she dies... She's within, she's within grace. There's nothing in the Old Testament that would suggest that she is not going to heaven to have an eternity with God. And that's before Jesus has died on the cross. So the new covenant hasn't fully come. So you're imagining this woman. She dies still under the old covenant. But now let's say she dies 10 minutes after the crucifixion. So now we're in the new covenant. Jesus has died for our sins, but she lives way up in Galilee. She didn't even know there was somebody like getting crucified down in Jerusalem, down in the capital, right? News didn't travel that fast. She passes away 10 minutes after Jesus does. Does she go to hell now because she didn't place her faith in Christ? Did Jesus just make it harder for her? Did he just make her way more narrow? It's kind of uh, those are the kind of questions that are natural for people to ask us. And that is why Verse 17 is so helpful to us. We can stare into the heart of Jesus and learn that he has not come to condemn. He has not come to make the way more narrow. He has come to save. He hasn't come to make it harder to go to heaven, but to save people. This is a rescue mission that Jesus is on. And what this tells me, what this gives me peace about is that we can trust in his grace to work out all these hypothetical details, right? We can trust in him, which are actually real scenarios that play out in the real world, right? What about people who've never heard of Jesus, right? Uh, the proverbial guy who lives in the rainforest. I remember being a little kid and thinking, wait a minute, what if a guy is in the jungle 
and he lives in the jungle. He never hears about it. I remember thinking, like, I made this up. Like, I'm the first one to think about this problem, right? <laughs> and it turns out everybody's thought of it. Yeah, but, right, it's a common objection. What about that? What about babies and children who maybe they don't live long enough to accept his salvation, let alone have a sense that they're sinners? What about uh, the mentally challenged who just don't have the mental capacity to, to understand sin and salvation and righteousness and these kind of things? Well, first of all, the really, really good news, and this is really good news, is that we don't have to obsess over this. We don't have to know how God is going to judge all these people because he's not going to ask our opinion on Judgment Day. <laughs> Whoo! He's not going to ask it, right? You don't have to know. Apparently, it's a need-to-know basis, and apparently, we don't need to know, right? Secondly, if you stare into this verse 17... You can begin to trust the character of the one who is ultimately the judge. Amen? And, and I am always, uh, I remember Melissa preached a message one time, and it stuck with me. She said, you know, as, as, as loving and as merciful as you think you are, the God of the universe is more loving, and he has proven himself to be more sac- self-sacrificial than we have, right? He actually gave himself to die. That's something none of us here can can say we've done. So we can prove, we can trust in the God who has proven himself more loving and more gracious and more merciful than we think we are. Amen? Amen. We don't have to have all of those little answers uh, right now. We'll have them. We'll have them someday. We can trust God. We can trust him. What happens then as Jesus come, he comes and offers people choice. For those people who do have a chance to explicitly respond to him. What we're told here is that Jesus is not the one judging them so much as they are kind of, in a sense, judging themselves. We judge ourselves. He's simply offering truth, and they end up being judged not by Jesus, but by their own response to that pure truth. When you encounter pure truth, pure love and light, your response, when you think about it, is saying something about you, isn't it? The late Bible scholar F.F. Bruce, he had a great illustration of this, and he says this, in a gallery where artistic masterpieces are on display, it is not the masterpieces, but the visitors that are on trial. Here's what he means by that. If you and I were to go down downtown to the Houston Museum of Fine Arts or any great art gallery with, you know, uh, with world masterpieces on the wall, if we were to just kind of like hang back and hover and listen to the comments, listen to what people say, what, what does the average person say? It's probably going to tell you more about that person than it will about the masterpiece, won't it? Right? If we go to Paris, you and I go to Paris and we go, we go look at the Mona Lisa and you walk up to the Mona Lisa and you're like, yawn, nice try, buddy. Right? Pretty boring, not a lot going on there. Well, you just told me a little more about you than you have the Mona Lisa, right? If you go with your friend to the theater and y'all go watch Macbeth, one of Shakespeare's finest plays, and halfway through it, your buddy is like, give me a break. I mean, the story's okay, but these lines, who wrote this? I mean, he's not much of a writer, is he? He, he, he just told you a little more about your buddy than you did about Shakespeare, Right? So when you're judging something and your judgments tell us 
something more about you than what you're looking at. And we do this all the time with Jesus. We do this all the time with Jesus. You ever encounter folks who, um, maybe they'll ask you a question about Jesus, which is great, awesome. That's a beautiful opportunity. But sometimes you encounter folks and they're not asking, they're not seeking, they're not, it's not from a seeking to learn position, but it's from a skeptical position. And you try to answer that one thing maybe, and they move on to the next challenge instantly. They have a next challenge and you try to answer that and they move on to the next thing, right? It's just like, they're just peppering you, right? Challenge after challenge. Well, look at these next verses. We actually help explain what's happening here. John, when we look at verse uh, 19, and this is the judgment. This is the judgment. This is the, in other words, this is the reason why people are in this state of judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So there's this kind of motivation here behind some people, not everybody, but some people who reject Jesus, who would say, actually, I don't want to change. I like my life the way it is. I, I, I reject, I, I'm even offended by the idea of an authority telling me what to do. And so it's actually rejecting the concept before they even give themselves a chance to experience and stare into the purity of Christ and who he is. And you'll know some of these people, right? They, they may not always come right out and say, uh, I'm someone who doesn't want to change how I live, therefore. But this is the subconscious motivation behind many of these intellectual arguments. They have these intellectual arguments, but what they'll say is, well, yeah, but what about this? Okay, well, what about this? What about this? And you start to have this weird experience that's ever happened to you. You have this weird experience where you're saying to yourself, you know what? I do my homework here. You know, they ask me questions. I go find out. I come back. I give, it to them. I give them good answers. And as soon as I give them an answer, it's like they don't even care about the answer. They're just moved on to the next question. And I try to address that question with them and they've moved on to the next thing. And they're just like, boom, boom, boom. Well, what about this? What about this? You know, just boom, boom, boom. Dance. Fat boy dance. And you're just like, I, what am I doing here? They're never satisfied. And, and, on the, <clears throat> and I think on a subconscious level, this is their motivation. And he goes on to explain, light has come into the world for all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true, that's an interesting phrase, to do what is true. Literally, whoever does the truth, you do the truth. You're a truth doer. You like the truth. You want to live out the truth. Those folks come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God or have been done in the sight of God. They come to the light that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. There's a person who comes to Jesus who loves truth. Their goal is truth. I always say, you know what? The truth has nothing to fear from scrutiny. I never get nervous when anybody I know or love asks these really tough, deep questions. That doesn't make me nervous because truth, God has nothing to fear from scrutiny. If they're seeking truth, they're getting closer. They're getting closer to God no matter what. They're getting closer to God. There's a person and they come to truth and they come to Jesus and they're able to look back over their life and say, everything I've been doing 
has been in God. Even before I realized it, I can now see he's been a part of my life. Everything I've done has been, I'm just now kind of waking up to the reality that, that my life has been leading up to this point. But who are these people who are then, it says, given the light and then rejected? Is that everybody? Is that, was that just people in Jesus' day who had a chance to meet Jesus? Or is this like people that we evangelize, but then they reject it? And so we're actually telling people about the light, but oh, wait, if they reject it, I mean, is that, am I increasing their chances of going to hell now? Because I don't want to evangelize if like I'm actually going to, maybe it'd be better to keep people in ignorance, right? And just let God judge on a curve, uh, see how it goes. Well, what we see here is that is, is this light that comes to the world. It's already been mentioned here in John's gospel back in, in chapter 1. Verse 9, you can look it up. It says that this light that was coming into the world was what he calls the life that enlightens everybody. The life that enlightens everyone. Everyone. There's something about Jesus coming into the world that is actually a game changer for everyone's encounter with God. Even people on the other side of the planet. Now, how does that work? That is a mystery. Whether you've heard the name of Jesus or not, Jesus, it says, is shedding light into every human soul and giving them a choice. And he reinforces this idea over in John 12 where Jesus says, he says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus is the light, John 1, 9, that enlightens everyone. Jesus is the one who draws all people, John 12. And then over in John 16, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world, that cosmos, everyone. So the Holy Spirit is convicting everyone and Jesus is drawing everybody and he's shedding light on everyone. This is a very interesting concept. Everyone is being confronted with Jesus all the time. And so we don't have to worry that, that we're somehow putting people in danger by telling them and witnessing about Jesus. We don't have to worry that we're putting them in danger. What we find, in fact, is that there are people who are even outside the Christian faith. And we have testimonies of this today. Every day we hear these testimonies. People outside the faith who are having, even if they don't know it at the time, they're having an encounter with the light. They have an encounter with the light, an encounter with the Spirit. They're being drawn to Christ and they're being pulled. And people can be pulled and they can start heading in that direction. And then, see, here we come with the gospel, which is what Jesus told us to do. Go and share the good news. We come along with the gospel. Evangelism turns out to be partnering with God, what he is already doing in people's lives, what he's already doing. For them, then it becomes this, this kind of like, oh, that's what I've been looking for. You're saying what I've been looking for, right? We said it back in, uh, I think it was week two. We never bring God into a situation. He's already, always been there when we get there. He is always, he always gets there first. We are partnering with him. Now, what this means is on judgment day, there may be some surprises for some of us, right? Because our, our lines of divide tend to be very clear. Uh, we like nice clean lines. And on this side, these are the people who've said yes to Jesus. And on this side, you haven't said yes to Jesus yet. We tend to see in very earthly terms, you know, everybody in this camp is saved. Everybody in this camp, heathen, darkness. But there may be people 
in this camp over here who have started responding to Jesus and, and have changed the direction and are moving toward him. We cannot say at what point the new birth has happened in their life, but they have started that, that process. They're moving towards him. And Jesus said, some of the people on the day, Jesus said, there were people on the day who will say, Lord, when were we serving you? And he'll say, you were serving me the whole time. You just didn't know it. You didn't know it. Jesus said that. And you know what? There might be people over on this side of the line who've turned their backs on Jesus and are walking away. And they're like, yeah, sure. I go to church. I do the whole Christian thing. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Whatever. Walking away. And Jesus says, some will say to him on that day, but I called you Lord, Lord. And he'll say, sorry, I don't know you. So we see here that faith, when we're talking about faith, it is not just a word to distinguish, to crino which side you're on. Are you a red M&M or are you not? What matters is what your spiritual orientation is. Where are you pointed? What's your trajectory? Where are you walking? What, whose footsteps are you following in? Where are you headed? And so when it comes to evangelism, I, I, I find myself agreeing with everybody from Billy Graham to C.S. Lewis that, that there would be people, there may be people out there who are moving towards Jesus. They don't even know it yet. They don't even know his name yet. They don't know, but they're calling out for truth. They're calling out for truth from the God who loves self-sacrificially, who loves so mercifully, who loves more than I think I'd love. Yeah, he actually loves more than I can imagine. And they're calling out for the light that's come into the world that Jesus says has come into the world, the whole world. And so when we evangelize, which is important, when we evangelize, we have the chance to partner with what their heart is already hungry for. And there's plenty of those people, as we've said, to keep us busy. There's plenty of those people. We don't have to get in a whole lot of arguments with folks. There's plenty of people to keep us busy who are hungering. So we could say it this way. Apart from Christ, there is no guarantee what awaits us after we die. Will this person or that person end up in heaven? If they never hear, or if they, what, what if they grew up in a jungle and what if they died? What about hell? You know, we, we talked about that last week. There's several theories that Christians have wondered about. Is hell this or is hell that? You know what? Apart from Christ, I can't judge. I've never been to hell. I don't plan on it. So I can't tell you exactly what's going on there. And I can't guarantee you anything. But with Christ, we can be assured that our eternal life starts now. With Christ, we can be assured we have eternal life. And that life starts now. There's no question. Because Jesus came not to condemn, but to save. To take us out of that judgment line and to say, you don't have to stand there anymore. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to live in fear because there's no fear in love. I love you. Come out. You don't have to live in fear. Oh, I hope I've been good enough. Oh, I hope I don't mess up right before I die. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't have to wonder about your future. Just come. And this is the good news that we offer. This is the good news. New life 
now. New life now. Amen? Amen. Well, this, um, this conversation with Jesus uh, has, has revealed so much over these, these last several weeks. And uh, hopefully it has also created some questions within you um, for some of us, as it did for Nicodemus. I can imagine Nicodemus getting up from that conversation with his head spinning, right? Don't you know? He had a lot to chew on. Uh, by the way, some of you might be wondering what happened to Nicodemus. Because in this story, he sort of fades into the background. Jesus keeps talking and we never hear from him again. Do we know? Do we? Well, actually, we have some hints. It's interesting. It seems as though he, would, he continued to pursue Jesus and eventually became a follower. There's a, a paper trail that starts in around John chapter 7, where there's a story where Nicodemus begins to stick up for Jesus. And for, uh, he's uh, among his fellow leaders. Nicodemus is with his leaders, the ones he was nervous about initially. Now he's kind of coming out of the darkness into the light. He begins to stick up for Jesus. In John chapter 12, we learn that there's, uh, there are some religious leaders who became followers of Jesus, certainly a minority, but there were some. And he's not mentioned there, but he very well could have been one of them. And then in John chapter 19, is such a beautiful passage. At the death and burial of Jesus, Nicodemus comes fully out of the closet. He comes out and he, he is in the company of the disciples. And along with a, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, he actually comes to receive the body of Jesus after he's crucified to give him a proper burial. And so now there's no hiding. He's not trying to hide. He seems to be fully identifying as a friend and a follower of Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. And that may be, that may be your journey here today. As well, if you're here and, and you would consider yourself a seeker of truth, someone, you're, maybe you're intrigued by this person of Jesus. And that would certainly be my hope and my prayer that you would just continue, continue walking, continue seeking him. Walk towards that light. Keep asking questions. But to take that leap of embracing a relationship with him, not just as, as a guru or a really clever teacher, which Nicodemus began to see Jesus as. He started, Jesus, you're a great teacher. But later we know that Nicodemus would come to embrace him as Lord and Savior. And I pray that would be for you today. I want to I wanna finish today by reading, rereading the 17th verse of John chapter 3. And I, I would just love this verse to, to really open up a window to the heart of God for you. I would love for this to be something that we don't just look at as, as a verse to, to skip over, but we're able to, to see it clearly and apply it not just to the world in general, but to us personally. Let me read it again. He says, Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's three uses of that word cosmos, the world, in one sentence. I think John is trying to drive home a point to us. He said world three times. That God's love is for everybody. It's not just for a select group. It's not just for the elect, for everybody, all people. And that includes you. I mean, I could ask it this way. Are you an all people? Are you an everybody? 
right? The answer is yes. Not a trick question. Yeah, absolutely. Then God did not come. He did not send Christ to condemn you. But so that you might be saved through him. And I just want to give us a moment today to meditate on this truth that Jesus has come for you. You. To offer you life. Not condemnation, not guilt, not shame, but life, real freedom. Let's do something. Let's, can we all just close our eyes for a minute? I want to read this passage again. And let me just direct this passage to you personally. And then I'll pray. Just ask God to let this penetrate your heart as I read this. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn you. God didn't send Jesus to condemn you. He didn't send Jesus to condemn you, but so that you might be saved through him. This is why he's come. This is the good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit here today. I ask, Lord, this week that the truth will sink deep into our hearts. Lord, those of us who have been afraid of you because of judgment will come out of hiding. That we'll just walk out of the shadows and come into the light, Lord God. That we'll put our trust in you. And Lord, those of us here who call ourselves Christians, but maybe we've been abusing grace. We've been abusing this message of forgiveness to just do what we want. Lord, may we see how we are judging ourselves with our, our ignorance and with our attitude, that we would repent, that we would draw close to the one who loves us so. Help us, Lord, live a life of love. Lord, I pray this week that we would grow more and more excited about what you're doing in our lives, that we would have this sense of delight and joy in sharing that good news with other people, that we wouldn't keep it to ourselves. We praise you for this, Lord. We praise you for what you're speaking to us. We praise you for what you're speaking to us and doing in us. We pray all of this in the strong, mighty name of our crucified and resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Everybody said... Amen. Amen. Well, if there's anything we can pray for you about today, we would love to pray for you. We all have prayer partners down here at the front. They would love to pray anything going on in your life. And uh, if you would like to say yes to Jesus, just to take that next step to say, man, I'm just ready. I'm starting to start following him, whatever comes. Come on down. Let these guys pray with you. They would love to pray with you. And you can also send us your prayer requests. Make sure you you'd let us know things that are going on in your life that we can be praying with you about. You can send it to us, email. You can at questions uh, or sorry at pr uh, pray prayer at uh, uh, You can also send it to us online. You can send it to us through the church app. You can write it down on a piece of paper and put it in the offering boxes. We want to pray with you. And listen, don't suffer alone. Whatever. It doesn't have to be some life-threatening thing. If something's going on in your life that we can pray, 
we're family. Family, we want to pray for each other. We love you. So let us know. We, we, we hate to hear about things way after the fact that you were suffering. So let us know so we can be in prayer with you about these things. Friends, would you stand to your feet with me today as I speak a blessing over you? May the love of the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you in this day that we're living in. Amen. Grace and peace. Bye-bye.